Hi, welcome to a unique episode of At The Flicks. My name is Jeff, and I will shortly be joined by co-presenter Graham for the show. So why is this show unique? Because we recorded it in front of a live audience in a large venue. Something very different for us. How this came about was we were approached by documentary filmmaker Sam Pope to record a special about his upcoming film, Black Dog Way. The film is about the plight of the homeless in the UK today. What intrigued us, and one of the main reasons we became involved, was that it told the story from a different angle to what is normally presented to you by various TV documentaries. That different angle is a man. An ordinary man who found himself faced with the nightmare of homelessness. His name is Steve Gower, and as you'll hear, he will be the main speaker in the upcoming show. What's different about Steve is he found a way out of his situation and since then has dedicated his life to helping others in that most dire of predicaments. We believe the following show makes for a fascinating and necessarily disturbing discussion and we look forward to getting your feedback. Finally, before I hand over to myself, due to the sound limitations in the room, we were unable to record the questions asked from the audience, something I mentioned at the beginning of the show. That said, many of the points raised in that section of the discussion had been covered to varying degrees by Steve. Many of the questions that you, the listener, may have should be addressed by the film Black Dog Way when it's released in the near future. And now, over to my introduction of the panel for the evening. Good evening and welcome to our discussion and fundraising drive about the documentary Black Dog Way. My name is Jeff Downs and along with Graham O'Dwyer at the end there, we the At The Flicks movie podcast. And of course, the real stars tonight are not us, it's Sam and Steve. So Sam, over to you to introduce Black Dog Way. So thank you for coming out tonight. Yeah, we really do appreciate the support, the messages, the emails, um, a lot of the donations that people have already given in so far. So um, a massive thank you. A couple of apologies tonight. River, who's one of the producers, could make it tonight, so she sends her apologies. Uh, the composer, Dean Jones, he's up in Manchester, so he's a little bit busy tonight, so he says uh, sends his apologies. But we're going to try and play a little bit of the soundtrack that he's composed tonight. Tom Newton, what about producers, uh, editors in the really early days is here tonight. So thank you, Al and Tom, for coming down, much appreciated. And uh, Catherine and Tom, my editor and uh, graphic designer, they're moving house. So they're covered in sawdust and tape, apparently. So they send their apologies too. But you can see Catherine's handiwork tonight. So we're going to show the, show the trailer again. Back in the summer of 2019, I met someone called Steve Gower. He had been working as a homeless advocate for three years. After being homeless himself, picked himself up, did a load of qualifications, taught himself the law, read everything to do with legislation, and empowered himself to not only support people who had essentially gone through the same crisis, very similar to what he had, 
but stop people from falling into the trap altogether and actually starting to break the cycle of homelessness. He said that the supported system in Gloucester was, was fit for purpose, basically. At which stage I just got up and just said that you're a liar. I got asked by the mayor to go out to the council. I said I'm going, but he's still a liar. Yeah, that's pretty much me. So, Steve? Yeah, I'd like to say thanks for everyone for coming and thank you for all the donations, the kind donations that we've had from not only yourselves, but from others. I think it's important that this documentary is made. I think the voice of the homeless is, is something that has been missing in society for a long time. I don't answer all the questions, um, but I certainly hope to give them a voice. And that's what an advocate does. As an advocate, I didn't know I was an advocate. Someone had to tell me I was an advocate. Similarly to when Sam told me I was a producer, I didn't know that either. <laughs> all right. Um, so yeah, I'm really, really, really pleased. But this, this, this documentary and the story couldn't, couldn't have happened without other people that helped me. Okay, what we're going to do now is I'm going to throw a number of questions at both Sam and Steve. And then after that, I'm going to throw it open for questions for what anybody's got to say and, and to ask. Okay, guys, are you settled? You've got your mic in front of you? Yeah. So the first thing is, what does the title Black Dog Way mean? Uh, that's, yeah, that's a pretty good question. It's, 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 it's very ambiguous for kind of a reason. Um, it sort of started off as a working title because we, we were trying to think of a working title at the beginning and we used the name of the road in Gloucester, which is kind of parallel to where um, there's a HMO down there, isn't there? And I think you, you took me around there on the first occasion. What's the yeah, name? Uh, Bridge House. Yeah, Lynn, the landlady. Yeah. So you'll see Lynn in the yeah. footage. So uh, she's the landlady of one of the HMOs that we, we went into. And uh, yeah, her story was, um, yeah, that was, <laughs> that was an interesting interview for definite. That was an interesting day. Um, and her colleague, Mike, um, and what the two of them kind of been putting up with for sort of, what was it, 16 years? Mm. I think they've been running the place. It's kind of a metaphor. So we kind of wanted to say that it's sort of the road that people take when they they find themselves kind of down and out and it just stuck i don't know everyone everyone seemed to like it so i was like okay we'll, we'll go with black dog i like it so it kind of stuck but there's a whole part of victorian gloucester that had just been kind of demolished and made way for this massive sort of bypass and there used to be a pub with a black dog on it and i just kind of liked the idea that there was a whole piece of history that was kind of obliterated and gone but the name still remained there was some kind of fragment of the past and it stuck it stuck so sam in the trailer you say it was meeting steve that inspired you to make the film yes yeah it was it was um and i'm not putting you down here steve but what's mm. inspirational about steve <laughs> <laughs> where'd you start really um i mean i suppose if we if we go if we go right back to the beginning it was a friend of mine introduced me to steve so i think Steve met Gemma at a cooperative conference, wasn't it? Yeah. And I think she was giving a speech at the time. And she said this, this Welshman came up to me at the end of the show with like a plan on the back, back of a fag packet. She was so impressed when she finally actually got around to reading it. Three weeks later. Three weeks later. So she kind of unfolded this, this piece of paper and she was like, holy smokes, this, this is like a five-step plan for how we could actually have an alternative model to what we've got currently. 
not just in, in Gloucestershire, but countrywide. And I'd been thinking for a very, 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 very long time about, I, I wanted to do something about austerity, the, the effects of it, you know, how it had kind of frayed away at the fabric of society. All the safety nets were kind of there, but it was this sort of high wire act where if you did find yourself homeless or you just thought, the safety net's there. If I do fall, am I going to hit the floor? Or am I going to hit something to cushion my fall? You know? And it was, I, I think it was the, the, the shock about learning about life expectancy stalling. And this is obviously pre-COVID. And you're going, well, how, how is that possible? In, in such a rich, wealthy country where there's so much money sloshing around, how is it the life expectancy is stalling? I, I don't understand. I mean, at the root cause of it, it's going to be austerity, of course. But Steve's story and what he'd been through, I kind of went, I, I, have, to try and, I have to try and tell this. I have, I have to try and do it some justice if I, if I can. So let's jump to Steve. And Steve, what is your story? I was 40, 49 years old. I'd worked all my life, done the usual things, married, children, divorce. And... Uh, I thought there'd be a, a, a safety net if anything went wrong. I was mistaken, I was. Um, so my world wasn't what the one is since 2016. It was probably like some of you here uh, were working or have worked and retired or what have you. And uh, I was expecting to retire and hopefully live life happily ever after. Uh, but because of a, well, mainly because of a, a breakdown in the relationship, I walked. And uh, a number of males do. The, the, the calculus is that there are obviously females that are homeless, but it's usually the man, usually the man, uh, that, that, will, that will go. Uh, and I was one of them, and I just thought, okay, I'll go to the local council, I'll probably be in a hotel for a week or two, and then I'll get a flat. That didn't materialize, and I soon realized pretty sharpish that if I didn't turn up at this I'd been in a hotel for two weeks or in one hotel I wouldn't say it's hotel it's just a room in a, in a big house and they put me up for two weeks and then they said right we can't hold you no more um the only option you got is to go to the Dorchester hotel and I hadn't heard of the Dorchester and I, I had the option of getting there by nine o'clock on Friday morning or I'd be street homeless so I pedal my bike uh, and my belongings in my bag in my shopping bag and uh, knocked on the door. And it was an eye opener. It was, there was about 20 odd rooms, 22, 23 rooms, all full with individuals that I wouldn't normally say hello to, let alone live with. I was sharing a bathroom, toilet, and I was living in a, in a room that was smaller than a, smaller than a police cell, as I now know, <laughs> the size of them. <laughs> And I, I was shocked. I didn't know if the bed that I've been lie, that I was going to lie in tonight, somebody died in it the night before. I didn't know. It was tiny and it was awful. And I thought I've been in some scrapes in my life, uh, tragedy as well. But I was on my own. My parents had passed away a few years earlier. My uh, sisters, uh, sister and brother were all fa had family. I didn't want to drop on their doorstep felt embarrassed so i had to stick it out and for three months i i promise you i never came out of that room other than to sign on or to meet the 
the support worker that would come and visit me once a week. And she would come in and say hello. And then I would speak and spew my heart out to her. And um, I'd say, thank you very much when she started to leave. And she said, well, I haven't done nothing, Steve. And I said, you have, you've listened. You're an individual who I'd normally <laughs> speak to, you know what I mean? Or I want to relate to uh, the injustices that I, I feel myself in. But towards two or three months, obviously sharing bathrooms, kitchens, what have you, you, you bump into people. They were just as fell on bad times as I had. All right, but a lot longer as I come to find out. And uh, yeah, good friendships come about on that. And uh, the mindset changed to, well, this, this has happened to me, this could happen to anyone. All right, regardless. And the hope that you have or the community has is that there is a safety net. There isn't, I can assure you, there is nothing. And if you have any issues whatsoever, whether it be physical or mental, you're gonna struggle. The services out there, and that includes the NHS, is not, I believe, at that point, fit for purpose. Has it got any better in the last six or seven years? A little, but it's still not what it should be. And the one thing that I went to, I wanna say this before I forget, is that when I initially moved in, I went straight to the council and I said, what the heck's going on? You know what I mean? I'm, I'm, you know, I've worked all my life, I'm 49 years of old, I've done this, done that, whatever. What are you gonna do about this homelessness? And the, and the council officer who was in charge of the homeless team just shrugged his shoulders as if to say, I don't know. And I thought for the first time in my life, oh my God, I am on my own. Because even them in responsibility haven't got a clue what's going on and how to do it, how to you know, sort it out. I mentioned about my room that was smaller than a police cell. And I thought, this ain't right. I used to be in the building trade. I had a Nibosh qualification, which I found out later was an A-level. I found that out about six years after I'd done it. I came out of school with nothing, all right? So a A-level than me didn't, didn't match, didn't correspond. So I said, I rang up the council and I said, listen, this place is disgusting. Well, what do you know? I said, well, I got my Nibosh. And she said, well, what's that? I said, it's, I said, it's construction and health and safety. She said, well, you need this other course, which is basically what the environmental health officers have. I said, okay, well, I'll do that then. What's the name of the course? So she told me. I don't know if you can ask me about this, but I'm 49 years old. I am using a computer because I'm a labor man. You know what I mean? I'm using my hands all the time, all right? I'm using my head enough times. Um, so it comes to the computers, yeah? They say, um, you've got to do your English and maths. I said, well, I've done it in the 80s. She said, well, what do you get? I said, I can't remember. I said, I don't know, it was that long ago? So, uh, oh, you have, have to be assessed. I said, okay then, right. So the English wasn't too bad. My grammar isn't that clever, yeah? But it was on a computer and I got away with it. But let me tell you, maths, oh my good God. You do it on a computer, but we didn't have computers in my day, our day. So I did it on pen and paper, yeah? So I do it from the computer, back to paper, from the paper, back to the to get the answer and write the, the solution down all in one. I was with people doing this exam, these two exams, English and maths. They were in their 19, 20, you know, early, late, well, early teens or whatnot, late teens or whatever. So they were, they were finished in about three hours, yeah? The English, it was, I know it was winter time, but when I started at 10 o'clock, I think it was 10 or nine o'clock, I didn't leave that classroom until it was dark. All right, even the woman that was the tutor was going, oh my good God. How long are you going to be now, Steve? So two things happened when I was in that little room, right? One was Daniel Blake. I, Daniel Blake. I don't know if you've seen the film. Please do. 
the way he described that guy, he was a, he was a bit older than me, but similar similar age. I got it straight away. So I thought, thank God for that. There's something on the, you know, a big movie that's, that's come out and it's actually talking and relating to today. All right. And the other one was when I was in my deepest dire hour, you know what I mean? What the hell's going on here? I remember having the, the small telly that was on the, on up in the air or on a latch or bracket or something. And there was the news and there was this, I'll be blunt about it. There was this old codger and he was talking about, I couldn't see him. I couldn't really see him in the corner of my eyes. I was doing summer. And he was talking about the homeless. And I thought, bloody hell, it's on the news. Who's this? And it was the leader of the Labour Party, Jeremy Corbyn. And I'd heard of him. All right. But, you know, in, in the 30 years or 40 years he'd been in. And I thought, Jesus, he's, he's talking about us, me, everyone. You know, everyone is in this situation. I hadn't heard that from a leader in my lifetime. It hadn't related to, related to me. All right. It wasn't even on the agenda in my 49 years but it was then. And for that moment on, I was, I wanted to be part of what he was trying to do and trying to, it's telling the truth. So, and I remember going through the, the town when I was walking through the town to go to the job center or go to do another course. And there'd be a labor party stall there. And I, I joined and I, I, I held, I was sat on the stall and stood on the stall and spoke at the stall from 2016 to 2020, 20, by that, sorry, it was mentioned about the um, the courses I'd done. Mm -hmm. So I, I went to the job set and I said, look, I've done your maths, I've done your English, I want to do this course. She said, I've never heard of it. I said, well, here it is, there's the thing. She said, where is it? I said, London. She said, London? I said, I can get, she said, I can get you a forklift ticket or someone like that. I said, no, I don't want to be a forklift driver. I want to sort this bloody mess out where I'm living. I didn't say it like that, obviously. <laughs> And she said, it's 700 quid. I said, that's all right. I said, go and see, go and see, go and see your supervisor. And I blagged it. And well, I didn't blag it, but they, they come back and they said, yeah. And I thought, because I said I had my knee bosh. So they thought, oh, okay. And I said, I want to start my own business. I want to help the, rent, the renters and all this and do that. Oh, right, okay. And, they, and I'd done it. And I went to London and I was with environmental officers that were environmental officers. And I was in London. So it was describing the London issue of homelessness. Gee whiz, it was horrid. I mean, absolutely horrid. But the guys were fantastic. They accepted me. I, I told them who I was. I was just helping the homeless and I want to learn more. I want to do, go in to help single mothers and, and, and parents who had damp in their house and God knows what. I wanted to change the world. And uh, they, I passed the test. I passed the exam. I couldn't believe it. It was great. While I was doing the course, I went to the state agents not in Stroud but they're just as bad as the ones in in Gloucester all right and I said listen there's this new law coming out about renters or something rent yeah they said well no we're petrified we need we need something to do. I said well I'll do it for you I'm just doing this course I'll be finished in September can I have a job yeah 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 come back and see us Steve well the time I got back there in September they said oh no we're doing it in-house now I thought right I've got, I've got the got your ticket right I'm gonna work for you I'm gonna work against you all right and uh, all right, and I helped a, a lot of women with children, you know, young children in Stroud as well. We had issues in Stroud with a with a young mother, terrible issues with a. I won't say it too. It's not too far from here, and with an and with a housing estate agency, whatever you call it, even closer than the houses from here. And uh, I couldn't get through to them. And worst of all, neither could your MP. 
but I did some others with um, it coming to help help me later on, and I'll come on to that later on in the interview. But I had, I had a certificate, and I had the paperwork to actually bring it to attention to everyone, and they would take me seriously because I was obviously certified. Then there was another new law that came out that was for the homeless. I thought this is the cut of my jib, and by this time I was helping or volunteering at the Citizens Advice Bureau, and they said this is a homeless reduction act. Do you want to go on it, Steve? I said, yeah. So where is it? Bristol. So I went down to Bristol it's through shelter. And I, and I thought, yeah, this is, I, I took the course, passed. Again, I was more qualified than the individual, which was then the housing officer, okay, to challenge. And there's one individual here and there's another one that's not here. It got to the stage where they couldn't, they couldn't challenge. They had to accept the fact that they had a responsibility. And at one stage, we were going in a car and Janie will hold me out for this. We were going around looking for homeless people to say, put them in the car. Come on, I'm going to get you home. <laughs> All right. It was that. We were that cracked it that much. But again, I soon realized that where we were housing them, they were just, they wouldn't last very long because it wasn't fit for their issues. You know what I mean? But for that moment in time, we had collecting homeless people and getting them in hotels or God knows what. Um, so, yeah. Sorry, Steve, so, so, so all the time you've been doing this, yeah. what are the stories, the events that you're most proud of that you've taken part in? There's so many. I've got to be honest, right? Yeah, but I've got, I've got two here, all right? And I'll pass them round to you because I've only got one piece of paper and that's the last paper I had, all right? But I'll bring it. You can take photographs of it, what you want. But the first one was, I believe, was my motion in 2019, November 2019, and I came up with a, with a, I, I thought, well, how can I get a motion in my United community and, and in labor as well that sums up what I'm looking for? And it was, I come up with everyone is entitled to live. That's entitled to live. Everyone is entitled to live in a warm and safe environment within their own home and without fear. And I thought I cracked it. It took me two years to work out that, that phrase. And I was disappointed because that was actually mentioned within an act before I was born. It was called the Human Rights Act. Not the European one. You can do what you want with that. The one in 1948 when it counted. When our parents and our grandparents had perished or fought or suffered across a horrific war. And that come back with the agreement that they had the Human Rights Act. So within the context of the Human Rights Act, 1948, I come up with it as well. I worked it out. And I haven't got no qualifications from school, all right? I just want to... And I thought, that's it. So I tried to introduce that to Unite the Union, and I have done in the Southwest. It took a year or two. Labor, a bit, a bit, a bit more of a struggle. But then obviously, we had, then we had COVID, all right? And that just went, blew everything out the window. But the second one, and this is more relevant, and this is particularly why I want to come here, is because of three years' work that two of us have done, just two of us, yeah, regarding an individual here in this town that was homeless. And you have a look at the background of that guy that was homeless during COVID from March, when the COVID pandemic was named. He was released from wherever uh, into the public space to the street basically 
all right, because of an admin error. So all the way from March until December when I met him, thanks to a, my friend over there, my colleague, Jenny, he'd been out on the street. And on an occasion, in that time period, when he shouldn't have been on the street, because if nothing else, there was a COVID pandemic and everyone was all in, he'd been injured, all right? And suffered life-changing issues. And it, it gets worse. Because I said, well, why aren't you in, why aren't you in a house? Well, you know, why aren't you in a hotel? He said, because I got a flat. I said, what do you mean a flat? He said, it's a council flat. You've got a council flat and you're homeless. Why don't you go in there? He said, I can't get in. It's been boarded up. I said, you've got a council flat. It's boarded up and you've been homeless basically from March. That's, I said, you must have had interaction with the outreach team who were P3 in Gloucestershire. All right. Yeah. Well, what happened? Well, they said they couldn't do nothing, and but I do see them now and again. And they wave, you know, and say, "How are you doing? How are you doing?" I said, well, "This is it's freezing. This is December." He said, "I said, what do you want?" He said, "All I want is an apology." I said, "What?" He said, "Yeah, all I want is an apology." Yesterday we had the apology. All right, that's what I'm going to pass around today. Two individuals. All right. Volunteer, independent, volunteer advocates. All right, we don't get paid. We don't do it for the money. We certainly don't do it for the glory. Flipping heck. Right. Years ago, how I remember it, uh, what would happen is you're homeless and you go into the council and you say, I'm homeless. That's what I personally done when I was homeless. Um, what they got now is, a, all I can describe it as is, is, is a charitable, private sector, non-profit, whatever you want to call it, non-public service that is driven by, uh, if you get people off the street, you get paid, all right? Obviously, the people that work for P3 get a, a wage. How much it is, I don't know, all right? But I don't think it's very much. I've just, I've known people start the job and then leave it quite often. Um, what their job is, is to, is to find homeless people or attend reported homeless people and get information off them, uh, mainly their name, where they used to live or God knows what, and uh, report it back to the council, which then the housing officer takes on and then deems whether they are homeless or not. Now, with the Homeless Reduction Act that I'd done the course in, it changed the law from 30, I think, no, 28 days to 56, which meant, this is pre-COVID, that the council had a duty to check if what you were saying was true or not. And in that interim time, rather than leave you on the street, give you temporary accommodation. All right. That was 56 days in a hotel, potentially, uh, to check it out. Now, what I had my difficulty in working out was one of my first individuals that I was advocating for was a phone call or one of the things that really opened my eyes to it was a phone call from Lynn that's the landlady of the then hotel that I'd stayed in but then she moved to the bridge hotel which is the one you can see in the film she called me and said Steve 
I can't believe it. She said, the council have stopped paying this gentleman's rent and I've got to evict him. And I said, yeah, what's the problem? And she said, well, he's on dialysis. I said, what? He's on, he's on dialysis. What does that, what does that mean? He, well, he has dialysis eight hours a day. And because of where he lives, he's going to have to have it in the, in the daytime. And then he, he's going to have to sleep wherever he can at night. All right. I said, they can't, well, what the hell's going on? I said, what's his history? And the history was, there's a, I found out later that their belief, the council's belief, was that he had accommodation in, I think, let's call it Devon, it was either Devon or Cornwall. And I said, right, well, what is it? And I talked to the guy and he said, well, it's a caravan, smash windows, no electric, you know, utilities, you know, whatever, portable toilet. I said, what, and you're on, yeah. I said, well, what happened? He said, I come from there to see my family in Gloucester. I had a kidney problem while I was here and I was in hospital and then they released me and obviously I can't go back to my caravan now because it's not, not fit for purpose. And I got into the, the hotel where I am now, which is where Lynn was. And then she called me. So I called the council and I said, well, you can't do this. I told them what I've just told you. And I said, oh, no, no, we've been told by the police that it's fit, for, it's fit to live in. I thought, a policeman's a good guy and women, but they ain't qualified to see whether the place is fit to live in or not. All right. I said, I think you should check. So to cut a long story short, by this time I took it to the ITV. All right, we've got a, 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 a clip of it, not here, but I mean, I've got a clip of it on YouTube and I'm pleading with the council to sort this out. And it got to a level where I was up with the quite high in, in council with homelessness and he was apologetic as hell, you know what I mean? Which was fair enough. And he said, listen, no, we'll get you in the abyss. So we got him in the Abyss Hotel. I said, you are, mate. You've got a long weekend. You're now, and they'll sort you sort it out. No problem. I, so I left him. I left him on the Friday. Sitting him on the Monday. I said, how was the hotel? He said, I don't know. I said, what do you mean? He said, when I got there, they hadn't paid for it. I said, what? So he was out in a car right on the weekend, and then having the dialysis in the, in the daytime. So he was apologetic again, this guy. And he said, listen, Steve, look, we haven't got a contractor. We usually have... Um, premier in or something like that we haven't used the abyss before we're gonna we've I've sorted it out now so that got i thought well, if that can happen to him why it only took me a couple of phone calls to challenge the fact that you're taking the word of a copper no, no offense to a copper it could have been a neighbor or anybody right but you wanted somebody with professional and say look this is fit for purpose or not and we got there but it took a while and that was in 2018 so when we got the covid and the all-in was in Initially, I thought, that's our day's over with. As being a volunteer advocate, it's all going to be rosy. Everyone's going to have somewhere to stay. Because well, this is it, because I, I rang you and I said, well, how is, how is everything at your end? And I went, oh, Boris has got them all in now. They're all in hotels. Problem solved, isn't it? And you went, no, no, you idiot. Of course it isn't. It's, it's, the problems have only just begun. <laughs> it highlighted the useless system that we've got today. And we had the previous. And when you think about it, before we had... This is my opinion, not not fact, all right? So I want to say it that straight away. So if anyone's got to go to court, it'll be me, okay? All right? Thatcher, well, we always had, what was the, care in the community or wherever it is? That thing? All right, I didn't even, it passed me by because it didn't affect me, right? But it basically, what I'm understanding is, is that they closed all the asylums and it put people in, in, in the community. Okay, 
and, and, and I didn't realize this, but this was actually from America. I only re realized this recently that this, this idea come from John F. Kennedy. But unfortunately, John didn't live to see it through. So it'd been on the table since the 60s. And I think it come through eventually in the 80s. So we put these people from asylums, which I, I, I personally think that, that someone had to change. Um, but the, the, mind, uh, the only thing I, say, thing I can say is, is that the mindset was still asylum, asylum. Put these people in, in together, but slightly smaller. And that was the, the, the shortfall. I believe, personally believe that was the, the mess that they'd done, that they put too many mixed people with mixed issues together. It's going to go bang. And when Boris said, we're going to all in, I thought, I can see it coming. I can see it coming. You can have all them. And it was. Instead of having people that were um, maintaining the, the, the property, having mental health education, they were receptionists, hotel receptionists. God help them. All right, I couldn't have put it up with it. All right, then you had the security guards. You had security guards looking after ish, you know, men and women that were used to the Saturday night brawl. All right, outside a pub, but not mental health issues. You know what I mean? That 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 bag of can of worms that you just you need proper training. You know what I mean? And why do you want security? You should have people that were caring for them. So inevitably, it was bound to fail. And best thing I can say is that as quick as they were putting them in, they were taking them out. Now this asks another question, begs another question. What was the number of homeless in Gloucester? Yeah? I could just say Gloucester at that time. Well, once a year in November, the outreach team, P3, would go around showing the, the I was going to say Prime Minister, thank God he ain't, but it doesn't matter. Our MP waddling around the town saying, oh, we, got, we found 19 here, or we found 20 or 30, uh, 25. Every, even the outreach team was saying this is a load of crap. But he was there waltzing, yeah, yeah the figure's gone down by seven. In, that was in 2019, November, the figure was 23. Yet three months after, no, four months after in March, they filled four hotels. Four hotels. And Because how, how, how many people would that be in each hotel in Gloucester then? Well, four nines, say four, 90 in each hotel, four nines, 30. So that's 360 min. So the, the number's probably closer to 300. What I found was that these guys, I was saying, why are you on the street? And we said, they say, because uh, we can't get housed. I said, you've got to be, it's a pandemic. It's a pan, you know what I mean? Everyone's all in, all in, all in. So I'd ring up the council, out of hours time, sorry, because you've got two sections. You've got ones from nine to five, which is the council. And then you've got the one, the guys that do the night shift, which is the social, social services, volunteers at the time. And you get a, a good answer from the, the volunteers, believe me. And it was mainly out of hours because then you know there wouldn't anybody in the hotel. So you ask them why you're in a hotel. You ring up the out of hours team and they say, we can't house them. And I said, why? He said, because they're on the list, this list. I said, what list? And they said, the do not place list. I thought, what's this? What's this about? Sorry, Steve. And I mean, they were in tears. And they were saying, I can't, I can't house them. And I was talking men, women, all right, all ages. And I said, everybody's on this list. Because I got four individuals here, two men, two women, on one occasion. They said about 150. 150 at least were on that list that would not be housed during COVID lockdown one. And that was from May until August. I was challenging at that time because don't forget council was shut and we wanted to do the Zoom meetings. 
I got to a stage where they were fed up with me asking, how, why have you got this do not place list? How many do you know there's 150 people on it? I got a Zoom call from the involving the then homeless councillor in Gloucester laughing at me and saying, <laughs> we haven't even got that many homeless. And we've never heard of a do not rehouse list. That was in 2020 when the COVID was. It took them until 2022 to admit that this list existed. In 2016, we had a, this, this is my opinion, all right? Again, this is my opinion, all right? In 2016, we had a, a, a vote on Brexit, all right? And from that result, we had the biggest push on immigration that I can, I can remember, you know, boat people stopping the boats and God knows what. In 20, that was 2016. Let me get my facts right now. In 2017, there was a big push in Gloucester with posters going up. These beggars get out, uh, get out, yeah, go away. We had, a, it went to Parliament. It was mentioned in Parliament, and now we're MP at a drop, get the posters off. I had an issue with it. In my, and I, they actually had the posters in the housing benefits office where I had a homeless guy with mental health issues. I took it down and ripped it up. So we had that issue with the posters going up in Gloucester. Then we had Richard Graham, our MP, coming out in the same year, saying some of these beggars are all right, and the others can clear off. You raised a lot of concerns. What are you hoping that Black Dog Way is going to promote for you, and what message do you want to get out with the film? That we're listening, that we hear you, and we know what's going on. And, but there is hope. I didn't think there was hope when I, when, after COVID, believe me. To get to where I want to get on the end of my journey, which was to end homelessness, and I want to end homelessness, that's where I want to get to. And I believe I've got the missing link is how do you lose the stigma of having individuals living opposite you, which they do where I live, okay, where they become like an asset or a... They're part of the community. They're putting something back in. Some of these may never work, never work in their lifetime at all. But how do you make that an asset? That done my head right in. Thank you. Before I hand out the questions, and obviously I think everything you said, well, there'll be loads of questions. Um, Sam, I want to sort of come back to you. Yeah. Obviously you need to complete the film. What can people do to help to complete? Well, we're kind of, we're kind of at, Almost at the, the last stages. So Catherine currently um, is working on the third act. So we're kind of this close to having it done and dusted. So the main reason that we're still crowdfunding, the page is still open, is we're still taking donations, basically just to get the post-production done. So we've got a rough cut of around about two hours and 40 minutes, and it needs to be about one hour and 50 we're going to try and cut it down. We don't want it to be like Lawrence Arabia with an intermission. So um, we kind of wanted to cut it down to something uh, something manageable. And I mean, I, I think it, it, it's tricky because when we first interviewed Steve, I mean, your man here can talk. And the first interview we did, I think we taped something that lasted all day because of the amount of stuff that he had to talk about. And I thought, good God, we've got like three, four, five films here, <laughs> or like a, an, you know, an eight-part miniseries. So I, I think the, the initial thing that me and River were doing in the very, very early days, and then help from Tom as well, was to try and sort of 
figure out what's the narrative, what's the real story, what's the heart of it. And Steve, by default, became our kind of protagonist, if you like. And you were invaluable because I think you gave us kind of the access and people instinctively trusted me because if I talked up from Chelton, they go, no, I'm not going to talk to the likes of you with your camera. It took a long time to sort of meet them, have a chat through their story, if they were actually even comfortable being on camera. Um, I mean, we've spent about 10 to 15 so far, and I think we probably need another five grand, I think, and we're done, we're dusted. Uh, and that's, that's enough to get all the post-production stuff done. We've just had the the overture from, from my friend Dean Jones. He's... He sent it. Now, Steve hasn't heard this yet. So if, if you guys are interested, I can, I can play it if you're interested. Well, thank you all very much for attending this evening. Really appreciate it. And a big hand for the two guys here and all their work. That was our panel discussion on the upcoming documentary, Black Dog Way. Both Sam and Steve have strong and passionate views and opinions. However, the At The Flicks team feel that a documentary film about homelessness which delivers such a positive message is something our listeners will be interested in. As Sam said during the show, they are currently trying to raise the funds to complete the editing. If you would like to make a contribution to this worthy cause, please check out our show notes for details on how to donate. To finish... I would like to thank the extraordinary editing work from Graham to overcome the sound limitations we had in the large venue when this was recorded. I'd often, I don't often say this, and it's sticking in my throat now. <laughs> thank you, Graham. <laughs>